Well, hello and welcome to the very first Formula E podcast of 2022. And what better way to start than speaking to one of Formula E's top performers and personalities, Robin Frimes. The Envision Racing driver has scored two E-Prix wins in his Formula E career, which began in 2015 with the Andretti team before he transferred to Envision Virgin Racing a couple of years later. He's commonly referred to as one of the quickest and fastest and talented drivers in the world of electric racing, and we're delighted to have him with us today. Robin, hello. Hello, thank you. Thank you very much. Nice introduction, eh? Uh, we, we, we try here, you know, we big, we big our guests up. But I'm also joined by the race's Formula E expert, Sam Smith, who's fresh from his pre-season training camp uh, at the Coaching Horses, where he's been subsisting on bangs and mash. Uh, so, Sam, as always, we like to talk about our memories of our drivers. So, um, so Sam, yours, uh, when you uh, think of Robin, what, what do you think of? Well, I think the first time I saw Robin perform was probably at the Silverstone Renault 3.5 race at Silverstone, I think, in... Uh, must have been 2012 the year he won it i think it that's right yeah, um yeah, yeah he, he finished second that day in one of, the, one of the races anyway and you know when you look at the field that was there that day de costa bird uh jules bianchi magnuson you know it was a very impressive field even you know even though they'd all not made their mark on the on the sort of european stages yet so you know that's 10 years ago now can you believe that i mean it seems a lifetime ago but I followed his results and, and probably seen him a few more times in GP2 and Blancpain and Weck and various other things in his career. And uh, yeah, I got to know him a little bit in Formula E and, you know, it's obviously clear that he, he was a potential race winner from an early stage in Formula E, I reckon. And, you know, any, anyone who drags that, that Andretti around in season two and gets points in the podium is a, is a hero anyway, right? So uh, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, major talent. Uh, somebody who's um, always enjoyable to watch as well when you, you get a rare chance to go out on the track and see a session. So, you know, and away from the track, he's, he's good value too. So, um, you know, he's always himself. And I guess that goes back to what we were talking about with, with Jack before Christmas, isn't it? That you just want drivers really to be, be themselves and the people they are. And, you know, um, I think that's important to have that authenticity. So yeah, that's, that's it really. We, we always uh, start off like this, Robin, butter up the drivers and, and, and make them feel good. And then, you know, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll beat you, but we'll beat you back down on the, uh, the second half of the show. Oh, I can take it. Don't worry. <laughs> well, as we recorded this, there's a couple of weeks before the season opens in Riyadh, uh, Robin, You've had a bit of downtime since the uh, pre-race uh, testing in Valencia. How do you sort of assess your prospects now ahead of going into the season? Um, pretty, pretty good actually, because Valencia went better than expected. Uh, can't really explain why, but we saw that Mercedes did a quite a big step on uh, two twenty kilowatt runs. Uh, on the two fifty kilowatt runs, like qualifying format, we are pretty much on the pace in Valencia. But then again, Valencia track is completely different than than Riyadh or all the other street circuits we're going to. But I think the biggest changes this year will be definitely the qualifying format. Um, obviously, I think I was. Only the, the the only driver was basically only in Group One last year, um, which has been sometimes very difficult. If you go to tracks like Puebla, which the track evolution during qualifying is it's major. Um, so I started basically last many times and fought my way forward to hopefully score some points and always stayed in the top five in the championship, which basically, you know, wasn't always great. But that's how it goes. Um, so I just hope that this qualifying format, which looks really entertaining uh, for the viewers, especially, 
uh, it will be much better for us drivers as well. Um, but then again, look at the performance. I think Mercedes, yeah, on a 220 kilowatt, because in the group stages, it's still the 220 kilowatt runs we do. And then if you go into those head-to-head uh, um, -head battles, it's the 250 kilowatt. So I think we, we lose a bit of speed on the on the 220 kilowatts. Um, just look at the Valencia data, really. So, But we see, I think, uh, in, in the race, we if we can start up front saying, you know, top six, we can always fight for, for the podiums, or, or we should. Um, but I certainly think that we don't have the best car, um, same as last year. We can battle with it, but winning the championship will be very difficult, even though we were in a position to win it. Basically, you know, the top 10 or 12 people were in a position to win the championship last year. Uh, it was quite a crazy season last year, but um, we certainly had the pace to to battle for it, let's say. Yeah, I think we'll talk about the qualifying format um, in more detail later and especially how that might impact upon your chances or not. Sam, do you uh, sort of uh, go along with those assessments from testing as, as Robin's seen there? Yeah, pretty much. I, I noticed that Envision did the fewest laps combined between Robin and, and Nick during the during the three days. But, you know, that, that wasn't I, I don't think that was really due to anything any issues i think it was just that they ended up just doing a bit less so i think what you've got to realize is that at this stage um going into the full season of these gen 2 cars you know the engineers will tell you there's always something to learn but actually you know it's it's at the complete limit of of um of what's possible in these cars and, and really the the improvements are extremely small now um they look quick um and the team looked tight uh, there was a little bit of dis disruption because uh, leon price price didn't make it who's their team manager um so he, he had an illness and couldn't make the the test but you know the, the it looked like a very the same tight team that we've all come to to expect from Envision. Um, as a team, Nick Cassidy's got a new engineer this season with Tom Blomqvist's uh, former charge at Neo, Robert Sattler joining the team. And of of course, the cars are a, a different colour too, which as we know, V2B makes such a massive difference in racing. Huge difference. Um, so, but, you know, generally Envision are, are, have always been in the mix, haven't they? You know, they've always been um, a threat to the other teams or the what you would you'd have to say are the bigger resource teams certainly financially and as, as manufacturers but i think what envision have proven over the years is that or certainly over the last three years is that working as a true privateer with the audi car that they've got as a customer you know they've they've kind of set the standard of how to how that works yes venturi have their relationship with with Mercedes and, and that came on strong last year, but Envision have done it consistently for for three seasons now. So yeah, they're, they're going to be there in the mix. I think undoubtedly that, you know, they can challenge for, for race victories. I mean, uh, you know, a title this year might be another, could be a step too far, but, but who knows it's formula eight. You, you never quite know. And, and as you rightly say, Robin, a lot is going to depend on who executes this, this new qualifying format. I think that's going to be the first key to unpick the lock of, of race day, really. Yeah, let's go into that. Because when we did our season review, Robin, I said that you were really basically undone by your consistency, you know, but the fact you, you were you were in that Q1 group so regularly ultimately probably hurt you. So do you, do you see these new qualifying regulations as benefiting you? Uh, I do believe so. Yes, as as you said, I was the only one who was in Group One all the time, and 
other people, you know, uh, the good guys. Uh, well, I mean, there are a lot of good guys in Formula E, uh, basically only good guys. But look at Stoffel. He had some bad weekends, some DNFs. And then suddenly he's in group two and three and he's on pole again. Same for Nick, same for Da Costa. And, you know, they get the chance to suddenly close the gap for 20 points, 18 points at one shot. And it's it's a huge difference in Formula E because as you see this, the championship standings, you know, if you are five points more, you jump three or four places sometimes. It was pretty ridiculous last year. So I think that um, having this new qualifying format, the better, I wouldn't say drivers, let's say the better cars will be up front and uh, there will be, yeah, nicer battles in a way. Because, you know, if you're driving behind a car, which knowing is, is not quick, you want to pass and quickly, you don't want to lo- lose time you don't want to lose energy and so forward so it's always like a combine of, of how to to race against such people um i always kind of compare it to to monaco where the track evolution qualifying was basically the same throughout and there i think it was a really nice race to see you know with uh da costa evans uh, jeff was a bit in the game as well with me um fighting for the victory and i think you know it was uh one of the best races formerly ever had. And I think we should see many of those uh, in the coming up season with this qualifying format. You got a chance to, to trial how the format might work in Valencia. Do you get a feeling for how the impact is going to have on the way maybe you use your tyres during those sessions? Yeah, that's different session by session or track by track. Uh, it's all it all changed with the temperature, uh, where you are, uh, the, the asphalt surface as well. Uh, Riyadh isn't so aggressive on the tires. It's quite smooth track surface. Um, it's not so hot either because we are driving in the in the afternoon as well. Um, but there's always, I think, even though this qualifying format is miles better, but you will always be in position which you are or an advantage or a disadvantage. If you go to, you know, tracks which is really hot, thirty please to thirty degrees plus. And if you are just done with uh, your qualifying uh, group stage, which you are then in group B, and then you need to jump in again for uh, your shootout, if it's you can change tires still, but you know the brake disc will be hot, and you will be maybe in a disadvantage as well. So, but we'll see how it goes. It's still early to say, um, but I think everybody has a fair shot at it to be the position where they deserve to be. Yeah, like you say, there's there's not a perfect solution where everybody gets exactly the same conditions and chances at no. the same time. But it, it does appear on the face of it to be more meritocratic than the previous one was. Yeah. Um, Sam, there were a few tweaks announced to, to the format in the World Motorsport Council uh, meeting, which was just before Christmas. Can you take us through those? Yeah, that's right. They they trialled uh, the qualifying, the, the entirety of the qualifying format at Valencia. And they did it with the race as well. We've got this extra time rule in the race. But I think more critically that the qualifying was where a lot of lessons were learned. I mean, the two main the two main changes from Valencia are that the initial session. So there will be uh, there will be two groups of, of 11. Uh, that will now be 12 minutes instead of 10 minutes, because I think the main reason was really that a few teams were caught out with being brought into the Weybridge um, was one of the factors of why it's been extended by by two minutes just to make it a little bit fairer because remember that each driver has to set a time before 
uh, in the first half, let's call it. If we're gonna if we're gonna have a football tournament style, we may as well use football tournament terminology. Oh, you got to right? use all the vernacular, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the first half of uh, the first group, group phase, <laughs> of the early doors group phase, yeah, is going to be you, you have to set a time so you, you can have a sort of benchmark time, and then um, and then obviously uh, the assumption is that everyone will go quicker in the second one, and and it'll be a, a nice shootout for TV, as Robin sort of alluded to um, in his in his first answer earlier. Um, that is the main one. The second one is just a confirmation, really, that the. Um, that tyre stops, any tyre stops made in that first group session will have to be done in the box, in the pit box. Um, both that scenario and doing it on the pit apron were trialled in Valencia. And I think for predominantly safety reasons, it was decided that the car would be dragged back into the box, tyres would be changed, uh, and there is a maximum of four personnel allowed to do that, um, it'd be involved in that change during the group session. So... Um, yeah, those, those those were the main changes, and I think actually, from what I saw in in Valencia, and I'm not sure how Robin felt it went. I thought for a first trial, it was it was pretty good, and I can see actually that initial group stage being yeah, the duels are going to be interesting. But I think what we're going to get with the duels is quite quite often because of the nature of the tracks and the the, the pressure and what have you and, and and whatever you know, we inevitably see drivers making mistakes i mean it's former cars are relatively tricky to drive at the best of times let alone on a bumpy um street circuit with with you know with with no runoff um so i think if you know if if one of the drivers in the duels locks a break up it's it could be a dead it could be a dead duel couldn't it i mean it you know it might just be a case of the other guy just touring around and doing what's needed to be done whereas i think the group stages the first group the the two groups of 11 will be genuinely interesting. And I think the commentators and the the spectators are going to have to be, you know, on the ball, seeing what people are doing in each sector. And I think it could be really exciting um, for those four from each to go through to the quarterfinal. So, so yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, it bodes well, and it has got to be an improvement over, over the last format, which obviously had, had, uh, you know, come to come to a useful duration completely. Um, Robin, another big change for the team is obviously that Audi is no longer there in, in the sort of works capacity on the ground. Um, what how's that? What impact has that had to the team from what you've seen so far? So far, um, yeah, not a big change so far. I think we still have the same support of Audi which we had last year. Obviously, you know, I, I think in the background, uh, as Audi is concentrating on, on other programs now, especially you know they are very busy with their car as as we speak. Um, it's uh, I'm not sure if if the push you know to to keep on developing in a, in a way. I mean, Formula E cars are already quite on the max, and it's not like you can develop anything. But you know, the software uh, updates are still going on in the background. Um, I just hope that they are keep on going, keep on working on the small details because every detail helps in Formula E, especially. Um, but we'll, we will see. I think at Valencia there were quite some some Audi people. Uh, behind us um, and I'm just hoping it stays the same knowing Audi I don't think that will change either because you know if you are finishing P10 it's also not great for for the brand Audi as well so they rather see us winning than uh, not being in the points at all so I think uh, it should be completely fine yeah yeah I think um, you know the the level of professionalism that they uh, normally um, 
demonstrate i think you should be fine there but these cars as sam said earlier on four years in now is is there much more that can be found or are we talking tiny incremental amounts now no they can be very tiny um it's it's all in the little details at the moment um although as i said before I, um i wasn't like i was really surprised about the pace mercedes showed uh, in the 220 kilowatt uh, laps they did so i'm not sure what they found um but they didn't show it in 250 so you know if they have the same step in 220 then 250 then it's going to be a very very difficult season for for us to compete against them um but maybe in riyadh is all this all different um I think Riyadh also last year, Nick was very quick. Uh, on the second day, I showed a really good pace as well. Um, so, you know, we will see. I mean, Formula E is always full of surprises, as we saw many, many years now. Um, I think now that there will be three, four teams standing out of everybody else. Uh, and they will battling it, battling it out till the till the very last race as last year. Who do you think those three or four teams are? And I, and I guess you think that Envision are one of them. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's for sure the the Mercedes team, Venturi, obviously having the same powertrain, so they will be up there as well. Uh, Jaguar and DS, um, they are both uh, always been up there, and then then it's us. Uh, I think BMW has a good car, um, but they it seems like there's a bit of a hit or miss with them um or they're very quick or they are struggling a lot so i think the general performance throughout the year will be those four or five teams i I just said yeah sam is that the way you read it i mean formula e is notoriously uh difficult to read The, the form book seems to fluctuate from one race to another seemingly without any logic sometimes yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with Robin's um, outline there. So what what I'll do is I'll I'll look at some of the what you call wild cards. I think I think Porsche are the there's a lot of unknowns about Porsche. We've seen that they have got pace on occasion, and they we've seen that they can win a race, all but win a race. I mean, technically they didn't, but obviously sportingly uh, they did in Puebla. Um, so it, it's very hard to read them. It's it's. Um, but knowing knowing Porsche and how they go racing, I, you know, I I can't believe that they're not going to make some kind of uh, improvement. And I think if anyone's going to make um, combine those tiny improvements to, to to leapfrog up the field a bit, it's probably Porsche. Um, um, there's no lack of resource, is there? So. No, no, that's right. And you know, don't forget that actually the first season that they came in was that pandemic affected season. So really, that you know it was fractured for everybody but especially for Porsche in their first season they you know they didn't go to a load of tracks and they're still I'm not saying they're still finding their feet because they've had last season but you know all that momentum dissipates a little bit so I expect Porsche to be um, there or thereabouts but yeah pretty much as Robin said the the, the four Mercedes uh, Envision DS and Jaguar seem to be at the group at the front and then I think there could be everyone else but if anyone's going to leapfrog from let's say a, a notional midfield although there really isn't one in Formula E but if we do get this hierarchical structure more so because of qualifying I expect Porsche to be the ones leapfrogging and, and, and again you know Nissan similarly they they seem to struggle at Valencia but you know, knowing knowing Sebastian Buemi in particular, and obviously you've got Max Gunter coming into the team, who's proven that he can get the job done. He's won three Epri. So if they find some pace and they find some consistency and, and iron out 
what seems to be some issue there, then uh, I expect them to be similarly to, to Porsche and, and, and be up there. So you did, all of a sudden, you know, you're then talking about potentially, what, 14 cars probably who who could who could be in the winner's circle again this season. Oh, it's, a, it's a tantalising prospect. Um, Robin, of course, you're not... You weren't just racing in Formula E last year. You obviously having a very successful time in sports cars with that sensational win at Le Mans and, of course, stealing the LMP2 title in Bahrain. Um, that must uh, be very satisfying looking back at those achievements now. Yeah, yeah. It was a very nice season, surprise season we have done. Obviously, uh, we did it with WT, which came in fresh in uh, in the P2 program, um, doing WEC for the first time, doing Le Mans for the first time. And same for me, I've never been visiting Le Mans track and never watched it. Uh, it was the very first time I've been there, uh, sitting in the car. Um, so it, it was a very special ex- uh, experience for me. And yeah, you know, doing Le Mans, you're already happy to be there in the first place. But then after, what was it? Five, six hours or so, you are leading the race. You're basically... I wouldn't say controlling it, but you know you have a nice gap. You like one minute, one one and a half minutes in front of the of the second car throughout the whole night. So everything looked really promising. And then we, you know, uh, we had some issues in the last three hours of the race. The air jack broke. I was driving around with six, seven uh, Stindall tires, which obviously is not really great uh, compared to Blancfist, which was behind me on new tires. So it was very stressful, um, but. At the end, it was a seven-tenths of a second gap, which is enough for the victory nowadays. Uh, so it that's was, what we uh, need. That's that's all we need. So it was. I, I cannot say it was all calculated, obviously, but it was it was very stressful. And uh, I'm just lucky that literally everybody survived, even the flag man at the end, uh, which was very close. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was definitely a race I, I will remember for a very long time. Sam, do you want to expand upon that for people who might not necessarily be sports car fans? Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I said it at the time, and I've, I, I've never seen the finish of a, a, a race or category uh, at Le Mans like that. I mean, yes, the Toyota drama in 2016 was incredible, but I was watching the LMP2 battle um, pretty closely and, and was actually firing off messages to um, Alan McNish in the commentary box telling him and the, and the commentators to keep an eye on it because at that stage it, it was for second place. Uh, Tom Blomqvist was catching Robin and then it all changed on the last lap when it became a battle for the LMP2 lead when um, the sister WRT car uh, stopped uh, just just out of Turt Rouge. So it was pretty extraordinary. This is going into the last lap and I, you know I can't remember the gaps although I'm I'm sure Robin can. I think they're emblazoned into his mind, or, or maybe he just disregarded everything. I have spoken to him at length about this, and you know, he, he, I think he went into the last lap around six seconds, seven seconds. Robin, was that right? Yeah, six seconds. That's right. Six seconds. Um, and what was what was going on? Which the bigger picture was that the Toyotas were doing a formation finish, and kind of you know a, a mile up the road, but their pace had dropped off to. Uh, below LMP2 level. So um, uh, Robin was being caught by Blomqvist, hand over fist, and Robin had a whole host of uh, issues that he had to deal with in that last couple of stints, which um, was was through circumstance in the pit stop. And they'd already lost, um, sorry, the Jota team had lost time in the pit stop as well. So that that's a whole nother story. But just to get to the 
to the last corner. Um, everybody's watching the Toyotas get their one-two, which you know everyone knew was going to happen probably twelve hours before. But uh, some of us were watching the LMP2 battle, and and Robin sort of hit the anchors into the final chicane, um, and was a, probably two or three car lengths away from uh, ahead of ahead of Blomqvist. Um, um, and then the the checkered flag, a traditional Le Mans is that the, the guy who waves the checkered flag comes onto the track, old school style, and waves the flag, which is, you know, fine pretty much every year unless you have a, a scrap like this going to the going to the line. And uh, Robin jinked out. There happened to be a couple of uh, GT Pro cars ahead of him. And by the grace of all the Le Mans gods, um, Robin <laughs> saw the man with the flag and kept his foot in, but just... Um, just made sure that he he, he didn't take the uh, the flag with him, or or even worse, part of the part of the ACO officialdom. So it was pretty close, but um, one of the most thrilling finishes. And I saw Robin afterwards in the the room where they do the press conference, and uh, I uh, I just congratulated him. And I I honestly have never seen a driver more. Um, it's like a mixture of kind of shock and. Just obviously tiredness and just kind of he was completely spent and he I th- you won't remember I mean you went to get some words out and they just never came out there was just no, <laughs> there was nothing that came out it was terrific so yeah unforgettable but you know I, I probably didn't do that justice but Robin Robin will undoubtedly it, it was a it was a very strange feeling uh, I have to say especially you know a lot of things were were happening and and don't forget that the weekend before Le Mans, we had Berlin. And knowing that I was fighting for the Formula E championship throughout the whole season, you're going to Berlin, you are P2 in the championship, you're P1 in the, in the team championship. And you think, you know, we can win it or we can, you know, finish in the top three at least. And we had zero pace the whole weekend long in Berlin. Like we were struggling a lot and we scored zero points. At the end of the day, we finished P5 in the championship, which was a huge disappointment for everyone in the team, uh, which, you know, um, sh- overshadows the, the our, you know, championships informally a bit, I have to say, that last weekend. So you're going into Le Mans, you know, not with a happy mood. You're very disappointed from the weekend before and, and things are going well. And then things turn to be, you know, turn the other way. You're having issues. You lose the lead to your sister car and you're sitting in the car again and I remember my, myself saying saying to myself like here we go again you know it's another same weekend and you know you're you're struggling to to keep motivated in a way because you know you see things going out of your hands and suddenly you get everything back in the last lap because the sister car stops very unfortunately uh in the last lap and um you know you're still very very pushy because you know Blomqvist is, is is right right behind you, being four seconds, five seconds a lap quicker with new tires on us, and then you almost hit the guy at the finish flag. And and remember the the in lap I did, I was asking my engineer two three times like what happened. Like I I couldn't be happy. I couldn't be you know I I don't know what I what I should feel in the car. And also when I jumped out, I was standing on the podium, and obviously I was very happy and, and very proud of, of what the team and, and the drivers, uh, Ferdi and, and Charles achieved all, but still it was, yeah, I never had such a feeling in, in, in my life, in my whole career, standing there on the podium and not knowing what to think about it all. How, how long did it take to sort of sink in all of those things that had happened? Did you, I guess you needed a proper night's sleep, didn't you, to 
allow your thoughts to come together yeah yeah i i went home uh, obviously we had a knowing vincent um obviously we had a, a good party in the, on sunday evening uh <laughs> So that was that was obviously quite fun, and then the next day you you're you're taking your phone basically for the first time, and you're reading all those uh, text messages. Uh, it's then you know that that real feeling of of winning Le Mans is, is coming up, and being at home with my with my parents, with my with my girlfriend, uh, having that that trophy in your hand, it's it's really sticking in. Then when you know you get all the yeah, I wouldn't say attention, but all the the text messages of, of congratulations on on your phone and and for everybody else close to you. Now you um you mentioned Berlin without wanting to go over old wounds, but did the team get to the bottom of where the pace went that weekend? It's it's very difficult to say. It's it's all into to details, obviously. But I think if we if we knew what the issue was, then we didn't have the issue in the first place. But it's not like I had an issue and Nick not, because we are both on the back foot the whole Berlin weekends. We, I think in FB1, FB2 and FB3, we were really never, never in, in top 10 even. Uh, we were really struggling. And the Audi cars, which is basically the same car, uh, I think won a race with, with Lucas. So the pace was there, but we just couldn't find it really. And it was, yeah, very stressful. And yeah, just, just not a... Nice feeling. The atmosphere was obviously, you know, as as there was a lot of at stake, and people were, we were always like the envision guys were always P three, P four in the championship, and now we were actually, you know, leading the team championship, and and the the whole concentration went to be able to keep that position, and having the two cars basically in the back of the grid was just, yeah, you know, very painful for for us all. But Berlin is such a strange place, Tempelhof. The, the the surface the just everything is so odd. I mean, remember Jaguar in twenty twenty, just nowhere. I spoke to I spoke to Mitch Evans a couple of days ago, and and he revisited that. And you know, they they kind of half realised what it was, and they they turned it around in twenty twenty one. But you know, each team it seems appears to have, um, you know, seems to just either lose the way or have a. A bad weekend there, and and obviously when it's, you know, when it's the end of the season and it's the titles up for grabs, as Robin says, it's uh, it's all the more difficult to to swallow. Yeah, true, and and also the the season before that, we finished on the podium, I think, three times with Sam. Uh, I finished two times on the podium, I think Sam once, if I'm not mistaken. So we definitely had the pace last year, and it's not like a lot of things has changed. You know, we still had the same kind of the same car obviously we had some updates and the car was getting better throughout the season but we never expected to be so far off in berlin so to say now did we find a solution no maybe if we go back in berlin we put the car on the ground and and it, and it just works and you know like like we had on several occasions uh with the car especially in monaco when i put the car on the ground and you know car was in good balance i was happy we didn't change one single thing throughout the whole weekend and the results were, were pretty good. So, you know, sometimes you, you have such weekends, you put the car on the ground FP1, you're not happy, pace is not there and then it's very hard to turn it around. You could always tell Tempelhof was going to be one of those places when in season one, truly put it on pole. You know, they're <laughs> they've been in the top 10 in any of the race. Yeah. 
Um, Robin, the two things were mentioned there. Obviously, you've forged yourself a great career in Formula E, but we see in sports cars in 2023, we've got the return of the manufacturers. Have you sort of looked at that and thought about which way your career might be heading? Uh, early days. Obviously, it's it's difficult to say of, of which is the best way. Uh, if it was me, I want to do both, obviously. You know, I've been doing both for the last three years. I did DTM and Formula E together, and it was never really an issue. I, I, I can really say that none of the championship I've done, if it's DTM or Formula E, has been suffered from one of one if you know of being doing Formula E and DTM together. So I, I can definitely do together, but it's what uh, those people want me to do. And uh, as everybody knows, I've been an Audi driver for the last five, six years. I've been in close contact with Audi. Audi's jumping in on this uh, new project called LMDH. Um, so there's talks going on, but there's still uh, nothing has been fixed, nothing has been decided. The other thing we've seen a few Formula E drivers, I'm thinking Stoffel van Dorn, Antonio Felix da Costa, Nick de Vries, and that's testing Indy cars. Um, there's a lot of interest around IndyCar at the minute and they look like great cars to drive. Is that something that's uh, interested you? I did IndyCar tests with Andretti when I was drove, when I was driving for Andretti in uh, Formula E. Uh, Michael gave me a test in uh, mid-Ohio. Um, this was 2000... I completely forgot about that. 16, I think. Well, I drove with the yellow car, the DHL car. I did the post for right. a day, I always say. How was it? Yeah, so I mean, it was a it was a very nice experience. I, I loved the car, how to drive it. Um, obviously, I came from you know high downforce cars like World Series. I did Formula One and so forth. So jumping into Formula E, which is as everybody knows, a, a low downforce car, and to jump in in the Indy car again, which is high downforce, I really enjoyed driving it. Um, but the only struggle I have with Indy car is I I would love to do it, but doing ovals i i have a feeling that it just doesn't suit me in a way because you know i I never did an oval in my life uh first place but also knowing the way i am driving the cars this is basically overdrive it first to know where the limit is you can't really do that in the oval you know yeah you learn the hard way yeah exactly so and i see many guys like for example felix um uh, Rosenquist, which is a good friend of mine, he he went to IndyCar and he I wouldn't say and everybody knows he's a great driver. He's very quick. Uh, he had some ups and downs in IndyCar. So and I would say that my eyes are more into Europe at the moment than on IndyCar at the moment. Now this is a, a Formula E podcast, or at least notionally, and that's the, the name and the title. But Sam, um, we, there has been some uh, early news in uh, the 2022 season of Formula E, and it's not to do with the calendar. So uh, what, what's been going on? Yeah, yeah, the, the calendar the calendar's stable, been stable for four weeks, so that's good. Uh, that's got to be a record. <laughs> so we, um, we, we wrote about this, actually we first wrote about it, amazingly, last February, about the possibility of a second Stellantis brand coming into Formula E, and, and Maserati announced um, in the second week of, of January that they were going to enter Formula E in 2023. Um, so this is the first Italian brand uh, ever to, to enter Formula E. 
and it's actually the first time since 1957, can you believe, that Maserati has raced in, in international single seaters, which is quite a, quite a stat, isn't it? So, yeah, great news for the championship. I, don't, I think that goes without saying. Um, we, we believe that this won't be a, a registered manufacturer, that they will actually um, use or rebadge or use the majority of the elements of the DS powertrain in Gen 3, which begins next year, of course. So, yeah, big news. And um, it's, it's something that I've been tracking for a while. And I think the decision was made towards the end of, of last year for this to happen. Um, lots of speculation who they might come into Formula E with. Um, we believe that the hot favourite is is Venturi, that the, the deal may already be uh, agreed, in fact, for, for them to partner with Venturi for next year. Um, and then really on, on the back of that is a lot of what I would call informed speculation as where other teams go, um, privateer teams go with, with manufacturers for, for next year. And, and the deadline, in fact, is the 15th of January, which by the time that this podcast goes out will have, will have ended. I mean, there's still scope for partnerships to, to happen after that. But uh, this, this notional deadline of when things can be signed, the deal sealed is, is this Saturday. So intriguing prospects. So we, we have uh, now, a, I would, uh, you know, if you imagine a seesaw of teams and the manufacturers, we have a much more balanced one now, um, as opposed to, to previous years when there were, there were more manufacturers than privateer teams. So as, as well as Robin's team, of course, uh, there's, there's Venturi we've already talked about. Uh, Andretti is now a privateer team. Uh, Dragon will have to have a customer now because it's not, it's not going to build its own powertrain. Uh, and then we have what I call the anomalous teams, which uh, uh, we, we think that, that Tachita are going to have to find a new manufacturer to partner with um, for next season as well, uh, tracking that one very closely. But it looks as though the DS Tachita partnership will uh, will not continue into Gen 3. Uh, and additionally, uh, there is, of course, a, a little old team in Brackley called Mercedes EQ, which is determined to try and continue after Mercedes leave in August of this year. So that's a real interesting one to see how those partnerships uh, form and of course uh, we're hoping that you'll be able to read that first on uh, on the hyphen race.com well so certainly hope so otherwise uh, you know we'll have to question whether we've got the right man in the in the role but well you quite you question that every week anyway don't you so nothing will change that <laughs> uh, absolutely um <laughs> Right, well, uh, Robin, we couldn't let you go with uh, at least poking a little bit of fun. And we see those videos that you do with uh, Jack Nichols, who we had as a guest on uh, before Christmas. Um, clearly, the two of you get on very well. But if you've not ever been tempted, I don't know, to get some gaffer tape and stick it over his mouth or something just to shut him up for a minute? Ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, a, he's a great guy to have around with, though. So, uh, yeah, I, I can get uh, very well very well along with, uh, with Jack. Um I miss those behind the visor stories, which was a lot of fun. Hopefully, they come back and uh, have some fun again. Robin, how many how many commentators um, mispronounce your surname? I'm interested. I and mean, who's the worst? What's the what's the worst pronunciation oh, of yours? What's the worst? Yeah. What's yeah. the worst? Uh, I remember doing the French Championship karting, which is 2004, 2005, or whatever. I was being called up on the podium because I finished second or whatever. They called me Virginsky. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even close. <laughs> He's just making up letters. No, I, I thought like, I'm Russian or what? <laughs> As far off, eh? Excellent. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. 
do you ever find yourself sort of seeking them out and just going look by the way this is this is how you should say it nice as long as and they know it's me i'm fine you're, you're way too laid back to care about stuff like that yeah exactly I'm, I'm i'm fine so you know it's it's the real dutch pronouncement is friends and i know that like a lot of people can't say it that way um but as long as it's not Frajinski, which is far <laughs> off, I'm fine with it. Yeah, that's the that's the level at which it has to stay above, right? Yeah, exactly. At least it's an interesting name and not a Smith. You, you, <laughs> you guys, you, you Dutch guys, and V de B is an honorary Dutch guy with the Vanderbilt as well. So at least you've got interesting, uh, interesting names that that are good scores at Scrabble. Yeah, true. yeah. You don't find many of us, you know. There's, well. Thank you very much for coming on, Robin. It's been great to have you. Uh, we wish you all the best of luck for the season ahead. Thank you. Uh, Sam will be heading off to uh, Party Central that is Riyadh uh, later in this month. And don't forget to check out all the news and analysis on thehighfromrace.com. Also, uh, we'll be doing a season preview episode, I think, maybe next week, Sam? Yes, next week with, with Gary, Gary Paffett. I'm really looking forward to doing that one. And don't forget to check out the rest of our podcast output on F1 MotoGP and the return of Bring Back V10s, which uh, we're all very happy with. Oh, and uh, if you get a chance, the Sports Podcasting Awards, uh, the Bring Back V10s and the Race F1 both got shortlisted. So if you vote for us, there's a chance we might win. Um, So thank you very much. Please do that and goodbye. Goodbye.